Okay, spit a spit a fact. Another one. Another one. Give me another one. Another one. Yeah, another fact. Lion is greatest key. Okay, you wanna you wanna shed some light on that? Do you do you guys not watch DJ Khaled's Snapchat? He has like oh, he always talks about major key, and then he's stop, got a lion I in his backyard. That like years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Much Ado About Economics. <laughs> Welcome everyone. So we come here, two from Toronto, one from Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, everyone, but before before we begin, before we begin, um, everyone put your hands together for our first surprise and special guest, Ahasan. Yay! Thank you. Or just, hit, just yeah. insert whatever I said, because insert clapping here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I think this is a, it's a great platform to, you know, share, share thoughts, uh, even though, you know, maybe I haven't thought them through, you know, maybe, maybe we can put that in there and not, not put it in there. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to get warmed up here. Yeah, no worries. Uh, but no, no, glad, glad to be here. Glad, glad to share some of my thoughts. Um, See, the best thing, the best thing about our, or the thing that we like so much about our platform is we speak off the cuff. So we come up with a certain bit of ideas. We put our, we put our thoughts on paper. And then when it comes to having an actual conversation, we just speak off the cuff. It just keeps it more natural and keeps it more light flowing and slightly comedic as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, you know, having a mic in your face and having a camera is a little nerve wracking, but it's normal. Like that's, that's how you start. Yeah. Eventually you just yeah. get into a conversation. So let's talk about you a little bit. So what do you do? Yeah. So, you know, a bit of a background. Um, I know Saad from my days in Aga Khan Mubasa at the academy where we went to high school. And I know Sibi from my time at UFT. Uh, we all, we all, we all went to UFT. So I, I finished in 2019, focusing on statistics and economics. And I've been working in research since, uh, specifically focused on corporate governance. Uh, worked at uh, UFT Rutland. There's a think tank, think tank called the Johnson Center. Worked there for four months, and then I moved to MSCI in September, September 2019. I've, so I've been I've been part of their ESG research team, uh, focusing on specifically corporate governance research, uh, producing content, but more more focused on their the rating model. That's really cool. And we, we can get in, we can get into you know what what is ESG why it matters what's corporate governance um you know if you if you guys like give us a nutshell how about this give us a nutshell okay basically let me tell you what so esg investing is first is not is not is not meant to be confused with impact investing impact investing is investing for social good esg investing is considering environmental social and governance factors as mm-hmm. alongside financial factors in your in your investment decision making in a nutshell hmm. so okay. it's like looking towards sustainable ways of investing yeah it's so so basically you would do ESG investing for and for broadly three reasons right um you know the first being incorporation you know you you know our research has suggested that having a focus on ESG leads to a more sustainable long-term performance because yeah. you can hand select um, what what relates to you. You know, maybe you don't want to invest in some controversial topics like tobacco or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want to invest in companies 
that have a specific corporate governance structure. And that's what our data lets you, lets you do. You know, you can specifically build a portfolio based on your ESG uh, values using yep. like our data, MSCI's data, right? So the, right. the first is incorporating uh, incorporating uh, ESG factors for long-term performance. Second is kind of related to the first point, like your personal values, you know, yeah. you may have some, you may be conscious about a few things that, you know, you want to keep in mind when investing. And yeah. this, it lets you do that. You know, you can screen for like tobacco, alcohol, um, and just invest in companies that kind of stay away from that, right? Because mm. that doesn't align with your values. Yeah. Uh, and the, th the third, uh, you know, a little bit more debatable is to have a social, a, a good, a positive social impact. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you because when you look at ESG investing, you know, you may be investing in companies that are aligned with like UN sustainable development goals. You can basically assess how much of your portfolio is aligned with, with those goals. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of can sleep at night knowing that, you know, your investments is making money, but is, is also sustainable. Mm. And especially like in the age of like social media where everything is open, it kind of makes sense to have an agent in the in the industry that works with that because you have to be careful where you go as if everything is out on the table and you you say that you only invest in sustainable investments but then you're caught investing for some holding company that invests in another company that invests in a company that does that invests in fossil fuels for example that's a lot of words right. but no point, that, that's like, exactly it like yeah, you don't yeah. even know what sometimes exactly. you don't know what you're investing in so you need a company that can do that for you exactly and, that's and it works also, better yeah yeah, like it's also it's also like this now on, on a slight tangent. It's also like this concept of, and I think this is this, it's quite a it's quite a new concept. But it's this idea of Islamic investing or halal investing, right? Mm. So the idea is that in like Islam prohibits certain items, or certain goods, certain foods, certain habits, those types of things, right? Um, or frowns upon some of those habits. So people who are sort of Islamic investing will invest in companies that don't invest behind those or invest in portfolios which do not include those certain habits or those certain traits. Um, that sort of runs like, I think that's, that's like another parallel to ESG investing. No, in, it's, it's in right on. Way. It's right on. It's, it's actually part of our product. So mm -hmm. what does MSCI offer? Um, so talking a little bit more broadly, like I focus on the research team, but MSCI in, in more broad terms, they have indexes. You can invest mm -hmm. in like MSCI ESG leaders index or MSCI emerging market index. Basically, the point being to what you said is one of our products is screening. So you can provide your portfolio and, you know, you can screen for, you know, is there tobacco involvement? Is there uh, alcohol involvement? Is there mm -hmm. like nuclear involvement? Or more more broadly, like scratch that, more we weapons involvement, right? Like we have that product as well. And it works better when there's one company, you know, doing it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like someone working on, on, on a good product that other people right. can subscribe to. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of governance, speaking of governance, mm -hmm. I, I feel like because of the events of what happened last week, it's a good idea to talk about the European Super League. Yeah, yeah no, good one. Um, I don't know, just just kind of wanted to to give a brief, you know, like 30 second rant on what corporate governance is. Yeah. You know, I feel I feel it gets it gets a little bit less credit sometimes than mm -hmm. than you know what it what it deserves. Mm -hmm. um, basically, 
you know, first, first corporate governance gets overlooked when times are good. And, you know, when the tide is carrying everybody, but when a crisis hits and the tide rolls out, that's when you see who's swimming naked. Hmm. Right. And, and that's that I would say that's corporate governance. So corporate right. governance is the link between the investors, the managers, hmm and the board of directors so yeah. you know as investors you have you know yes you, you have a specific purpose on why you're investing in a company right mm -hmm. and you want to hold the management team accountable mm -hmm. the management team's job is to execute on the company's business strategy and their in their day-to-day -day, right but it doesn't make sense for all investors to like have a say so investors represent a board of directors yeah. that board of directors oversees the management um mm -hmm. and that's basically corporate governance you know good yeah. corporate governance looks different for what type of company it is and bad corporate governance looks different you know it, it all depends is it you know what stage is this company at is it an early stage company with a founder with a you know a founder that wants to grow a lot and you know that founder wants control or is it like walmart like a widely held company where you know there's no one person that has a lot of decision power but broadly uh, a lot of a lot of different investors uh, here and there so that's kind of so it's this, like uh, this it's like this idea of fiduciary responsibility exactly right? it's like the idea of you know the responsibility that uh, a manager has towards the employees but also the manager has towards the shareholders then it's there is responsibility like then there's that fiduciary responsibility of the shareholders the board of directors of the employees so all these people have requirements right like for example you know managers are in a very tough situation at certain points because you know they have to answer to shareholders and and board of directors because their whole concept is we want to make as much money out of the investment we've put in but also managers have to be you know responsible towards employees as well because they have to fairly compensate those employees so the whole idea of this transfer of responsibility again you know links back in this whole like corporate governance, like the yeah. umbrella of corporate governance. Yeah, and kind of a little bit more um, broadly speaking, you know, a, a company's like early on, like Milton Friedman, this this one dude, right? You know, he preached mm -hmm. a lot about a company's responsibility being just mm -hmm. making money. And yeah. a lot of the CEOs of this time, that's who they they kind of looked up to, you know, they kind of read about him and, and stuff like that. But things are changing now, you know, now yeah. the responsibility for a company is not only for its shareholders, but it's mm -hmm. for its stakeholders. It's corporate you know, social responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Employees, the environment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors, your community that gets in that gets involved, the, the right? Like you, you gotta take you gotta take into account all those factors now. And that's why being a board of director is difficult. You gotta make mm -hmm. decisions that keep in mind. All, all your stakeholders. Yeah. And you have to make some hard decisions at times too. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's all, it all, it all really, it, at, at the end of the day, it all really boils down to who you can, who you need to keep happy and who you can't keep happy, right? Because remember there was this whole, like there was this, there was this, this, this theory about motivating people, which is money is the main motivator, right? And I guess now it's not just that money is the main motivator, it's the responsible use of money that is, that should be a motivator, right? And also just responsibility of what that company stands for mm -hmm. and like what they do. If you stray, if right. everyone, if your loyal customers, the whole point of brand loyalty nowadays is they go to a company, A, because probably because it's the only company they know, but also B is like they know what they stand for. They know what, what they do. They know the type of audience that they, that they connect towards. 
And if you change that, then you change the company altogether. And then you yeah. lose those customers, you lose the brand loyalty. So exactly. in, that's why like, I really like to take the advantage of look, uh, talking about the European Super League because of that is because it's a, it's a great example of exactly what happens when you don't do it, right? When you don't listen to your fans, when you don't follow the legacy of the club, instead you go in towards, you go towards a power grab, a money grab. So basically what happens in the European Super League, you can read more about it in the blog. I have a really passionate rant about it, but it's very interesting yeah. because insert insert blog this link here blog link <laughs> <laughs> so basically what, what it is is there were 12 clubs 12 european clubs that came together and said that they wanted to create a european super league and these founding clubs were basically the top 12 clubs in the world in in europe they're the, they're in the top 15 11 of those clubs are in the top 15 of the most supported clubs in the world so think about the sheer number of fans we're talking billions here billions so you what what they did was basically uproot those fans and bring them into a new league mm -hmm. and now the, the catch is the reason why most people got mad is because the way the league worked was those 12 clubs cannot be relegated they cannot lose their position in there in the league mm -hmm. so they're, they're not really playing for anything all they're doing is making more money like if yeah. you if you're in the blog i talked about how much money it is it's substantially more than what they're making right now per season like for 400 million somewhere there it's in billions. Oh, but, but just 400 million to, to enter for the first year. So, okay. So what it is, is they get, I think 3.5 billion altogether to set up the infrastructure, the marketing and everything. And then each, each of the 12 teams earn get about, I think 300 to 400 million us dollars as like a welcome bonus. Oh, okay, so that was already like from okay. the get go, they get so much money. JP Morgan backed the whole yeah, thing with 5 billion. I, I read that. So, so what angered the fans was in a time where everyone is struggling given the pandemic these and these teams are the basically the money makers for these leagues everyone wants to watch your barcelona's your real madrid's your arsenal united city city now yeah i guess we could count them in as well but basically what they did was they were trying to take that away from the other leagues and put them into a different league that played differently and it's and and the reason why another reason why many people got really mad is because this is all at the hands of the owners and the directors this had nothing to do with players coaches managers they had no say in what they didn't even know what was going on until the day it happened and that's the reason i look at the power of the fans now there's another point to point out is like just look at the, the power of the masses something that took three years in the making was collapsed within three days the point being that the, the largest owner was able to make this decision like that's my ownership assessment like that's not going to change unless yeah. you change the governance of soccer teams mm -hmm. maybe this this was an event that kind of got everyone shook that this can actually happen overnight but you know looking at the legal structure that, that can happen but what are the consequences the consequences mm -hmm. is a lost in trust you know mm -hmm. and this is something that i i personally think has been happening all around us you know bitcoin and De DeFi, like all that stuff it's just a, 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 a trust lost between the, the body of, you know, the public and, and who, who, who the largest, um, the, the largest players that could be the government or, or the banks or the largest owners. Right. And I think the, the question of this century is, you know, are we just going to let that happen? Hmm. Now, another, another, let's, let's, let me try and play devil's advocate here. Right. Would it have been really bad? So let's let's assume that the that the European Super League happened, right? And we're pumping up all of this money. So all this money is going somewhere. It's going to be spent again, 
right? And it's going to create, like, it's going to create more opportunity, would it not? Would it not create more jobs? In that perspective, yes. I, I actually don't think so. Because what's changing? What's changing is instead of Arsenal playing Burnley and traveling by bus, Arsenal is going to go to Juventus, travel by plane. All I can see is a bad environmental impact. You know, like Juventus going to, to Madrid and then Madrid going to going to United. You know, like now instead of traveling by buses, we're traveling by planes, you know, on a weekly basis. So that's just one point being negative environmental impact. And about the job creation, I actually don't know. Like, I don't know what's changing. It's the same amount of games, if not less. Well, it might be. So the idea was to play alongside the Premier League as well, like your respective leagues, and then play alongside okay, with it. So maybe from, so, from that angle, yeah. But they also, they wanted to have 20 teams. But the, the Premier League was like, you know, we'll, we'll knock you out. Yeah, basically. So, so they, they threatened to kick them out. Let's say that let's say that this didn't happen. Okay, let's say that let's say that they did do the Premier League and they did do the the European Super League, right? And if everything like if everything was working in tandem in such a way, in a way it wouldn't like it would have created more opportunities, right? Because you can't have the same people who are running the Premier League to be running the Super League. Like you need more resources. You need to mobilize Definitely. more resources, right? So if 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 maybe maybe if the maybe maybe the whole idea is like yes there's there's the there's the aspect that it's it's a very like there's a lot of money that's being used and it was the whole idea that only it's only there's only a focus on money but let's assume it ran for a bit right and maybe it wasn't as bad maybe it was just because the idea was so big that it that it caused everyone to uproar maybe it wasn't so bad and it could have like there could have been something there there is i'm i'm all for a european league in a way I mean, that's why we have Champions League as well. But in a league structure, I'm all for it. The problem that myself and fans, all the fans all over the world had was the structure of how it was. It was that the advantage was given to the 12 clubs, that they had, they really had nothing to play for. They got to be in the best league in the world, which it would have been the best league in the world. And they didn't have any fear of being relegated, being kicked out of the league for, for lack of performances that's that's what hurt it hurt the spirit of the sport short run yeah it's a big money grab yeah but in the long run i feel like it's very detrimental to the sport which in turn could be detrimental for the business because people are going to stop watching it they're like what's the point of watching a united arsenal game because they don't care if they're going to win or not they know they're going to they're not going never going to leave the club so whether they win or lose it doesn't matter they're going to make their money and go exactly yeah, so, that, that makes, you know, that makes so that's sense. that's i feel like that's the new dimension we are in now in this era and that's why corporate governance and ESG is such a big deal because you have to keep in mind of other stakeholders now. It's not just about who can make the most money. It's who can make the most money and do it sustainably. In this industry, to keep it sustainable is to be able to be in line of the spirit of the competition itself, to make sure you keep it a sport. The reason why Manchester United is so successful right now in terms of money and exposure is because of what they were able to achieve on the pitch in the last 20, 30 years. Yes. So if, if I can pose a question, well, I guess a statement and then a question, right? The statement being that, yeah, I, I, I agree with your point, Sibi, you know, the, there's kind of like more stuff happening. So, you know, you would need more kind of human hours. You need, you need to employ mm -hmm. a little bit more people. And eventually, you know, that kind of looks at the way it reflects on a balance sheet is kind of more revenue, right? Like, you know, say fans were on board, you know, you get these stadiums filled in day in, day out. Um, you know, everyone wants to, apparently everyone wants to see best players playing against each other. 
but but wouldn't that just cause concentration between these 20 clubs like the rich are getting richer you know like Leicester winning the league that was a big thing you know Leicester they got a boost in in money you know they got a boost in their fan base you know they went Mm -hmm. to the Champions League they got European exposure West Ham this season you know I'm rooting for them to get to top four so they can get that money you know I'm rooting for the little guys to you know to climb up the ladder the underdog um, story in, in that way right and I think in a structure, in, in a structure where no one has give, been given a golden ticket, I think that's when everyone thrives. But in a culture, in a situation, in a system where a few guys have a golden ticket and they can wave that golden ticket, there's a divide there. You know, it's kind of like one one group is superior than the other. Now, now I I I don't know. I, let's here here's another idea. Remember when we play FIFA, right? There's always that like there's always a, a team that's like the classical eleven or something like that, right? Like just we just the best players in the world playing on one team, mm-hmm. right? So maybe in a way it could be like the whole idea of this would have been more along the lines of let's put all of the best teams together so everybody has those ideal matches. Like, wouldn't you like wouldn't it be amazing to always see, I don't know, United and Chelsea play against each other? I mean, it would get boring at some point, you know. Yeah, it's true. Like to me, like Arsenal, that's my team. You know, I mean, we can put a joke in here or there that they're doing pretty bad. It's fine. It is what it is. Either way, man. Like I struggle. They lose on they they on average they they get like a point one point four games a game. You know, mm-hmm. that's basically a draw in a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And I see them lose. I see them draw. I get frustrated, but I live with it because the day. You know that they get better you know the day they reach uh they win the champions league the day they win the premier league again like that that day is going to be worth it to all mm-hmm. these like built up emotions you know it's it's like, a long it's yeah. a long con and on top of it too like when your team is really bad then you have to live with relegation battles and like having the having this european super league you miss out on that relegation battle. Some there are some seasons we've had where the battle for relegation was more interesting than the battle for top four. Like the, I feel yeah. like there was a time where I think Manchester City already won the league. It was like like six games out, eight games out. Everyone put their eyes eyes towards relegation. Like what is going down at the bottom of the table? Mm-hmm. It was madness. You'd see these small teams beating big giants because of just from passion, just from not wanting to be relegated, wanting to stay in the league. That's gonna be gone in the in the European Super League. It will yeah. barely be there because yeah. there are only like what four, six, four to eight teams that will be fighting for it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like what what's the end? Like how 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 is this gonna change? You know, the owners have the power. They're not gonna consult their stakeholders. They're not gonna consult management, fan base, the environment for future decisions as well, right? I mean, we're now we're woke as a fan base. We're woke on what these guys can do, right? But I'm just thinking, like, what what's the end to this? You know, okay. The other day, I think day before, Spotify CEO tweeted, you know, that you can put the tweet in too, yeah. uh, basically saying that you know he's an Arsenal fan and he would be something along the lines that he would be willing to to buy the company, right? And mm-hmm. first, I looked at it pretty excited that someone's interested. You know, maybe there's a change in power there. And then I thought that what's the probability that this guy will make a difference? There is some probability greater than zero. But there is a chance that he will make a bad decision, right? Like, again, the power is moving from one person's pocket to another person's pocket. There's no change in the governance of how 
football teams are, are, are running. And that's my issue. Like, that's where I think we need some change. I'm no one. It's not going to happen. This is just my, in the ideal world, I would have, you know, like an annual meeting where, where fans are, are, are listened to, you know, meeting where there's a board of directors, the mm -hmm. owner shows up, you know, there's a back and forth. It's like a town house. Yeah, a town hall. You, you can mm -hmm. like ask questions, you know, you can get your responses and you feel like you're on the same team. That's and so, I mean, like if did that actually exists right now, if you look in Bundesliga, like yeah. the law in the Bundesliga and the German league is your club has to have 50 plus 1% in uh, ownership. So like the club holds the most uh, decisive oh, power. from the owner, like yeah. the owner max has 49. Yeah. So okay. unless the owner has been there for 20 plus years and has been, you know, an integral part of the growth of the club until then it's the club and the club itself yeah they a, run that's it a, that's a better structure I would, and I that's would, the reason yeah. why they denied they rejected the offer for a european super league because they knew they they are the football brains they use they have the soul that's some good research right there yeah now, yeah that, now, that's a me, better model i'm gonna i'm gonna i know okay like i I'm gonna, I'm gonna change sport for a second just 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 for the idea of a concept mm -hmm. in formula one um uh, the team run by Lance Stroll. So Lance Stroll bought, uh, I think it was India Premier or something. It was the team. Force with, India. Force India. It was the yes. team with the pink car. Yeah. Lance Stroll bought the team and he brought his son in. But he managed to upgrade the level of that team. You know, he brought in the money. He brought in the research. He brought in the people. And he was able to give more time and more effort into that team. And, you know, now the team collaborates with, now the team gets, its, I believe, gets its engine from Mercedes um, and is now running out for uh, Aston Martin. Aston Martin, yeah. Right? Well, so sometimes it's not just the, like, sometimes the owner actually makes a difference. Yeah. We don't deny that. Is this that the owner, we need to know what the owner is about. Like, what is the goal of the owner? Do they want to make money or do they want to, pursue the legacy of the club, yeah. be part of the legacy of the club. Yeah. I, I would even twist that. I would say it doesn't matter who the owner is. Like in, in this case of either it's Dan Kroenke or Spotify CEO, it's can the owner be held accountable? Yeah. That That's where I'm in. Like the owner should be, like someone's going to have to flip the bill. You know, from what I read, um, you know, sad, uh, sad, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, there was a contract that was signed, apparently it was binding. Mm -hmm. And a day or so after, you know, team broke that contract there's some legal fees involved i'm sorry there's some, there's some other fees involved you know there's trust that's lost you know there's mm -hmm. games that happened during all this that was happening you know players not mm -hmm. in the right mindset it's hard to put a tangible number to it but the yeah. owner is accountable for that you know mm -hmm. and, and they should be held accountable mm -hmm. so it's like this whole it's again this bringing it back to this whole idea like in a nutshell owners of sports teams essentially should be should have a fiduciary responsibility to the fans as well exactly. right? and to the sport yeah yeah exactly agreed which is the case in any industry in a way yeah in any yeah. business like any like, business. like like music right even even if we do music so music directors or or uh record labels have a fiduciary responsibility not only to their fans but actually to the artists as well right like artists yeah. need to be uh, properly taken care of artists like there should not there should essentially not be any sort of harassment to the artists but they also artists should have their exactly an artist should be able to have access to their own intellectual property 
right? And they should yeah. be fairly compensated for any intellectual property that they put out into the world. Yeah, I agree. So, so I, I feel like we've put a full stop there on that point now, because it's, it's yeah. it all comes down to, like you said, fiduciary responsibility, yeah. well said. holding holding the owner accountable, and trying to see what the goals is. Like, is the owner in it for themselves, or are they in it for the team, the club, the firm, the company, whatever it is, the industry? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's move on to something else now. That we well, I mean. The European Super League was more or less kind of a tangent because it's something that yeah. happened very all of a sudden. It was it was yeah. insane. Like one day we thought that football was dead, and the next day we're like, <laughs> "What is going on?" And today also there's yeah. still protests happening. But let's move on to something more, something else, something more to do with economics as well. And we want to talk about utility theory. Okay. So, utility theory in a nutshell is basically um, it's. It's like what is happiness. It? It's happiness, happiness content. Exactly. It is the things that you need in your life as an individual that will make you content that, okay, I have everything that I need, possibly some of the things that I want, and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. In economics, they call that a utility function. So basically, they try to make it graphical so it's easier to understand, okay, what we, are the preferences? Try, yeah, we try to ta- make, make, we try to make utility or happiness tangible so we can calculate it and we can manipulate it. Yeah, so we can maximize it. That would be like the the goal that it's basically impossible to achieve. But you mm-hmm. know, the goal is to maximize your utility, yeah. constrained yeah. by your cost function. Yeah, yes. your budget. Yeah. yeah, how much you can spend. So right. So we all know the theory behind it, and now I guess it's kind of easy to understand a theory here. But how does it really work in practice? Yeah, kind of super interesting. So kind of from my take. You know, money has two two things. You either you consume the money or you save that money. Mm-hmm. And like you know, like we said, you consume that money, you get a basket of goods, and that basket mm-hmm. of goods brings you happiness. In most cases, the more you consume, the the more utility you get, right? And mm-hmm. um, everyone's utility, everyone's basket of goods looks differently. So that's kind of the first point. Being it's you know, it, it's hard to like understand other people's consumer behaviors because that's based on their utility function. Like yeah. you would probably not be able to understand that. You know, mm-hmm. you understand your utility function, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So and, and kind of the, the other the other point being is that, you know, that's the reason why we, we, we kind of try to get a job and make some money is for these two things that, you know, we can satisfy our current needs and wants right now, but also save for the future. Yeah, so we can satisfy our future needs at once. Yeah, we satisfy and and saving only has only has a function of future consumption. Savings is basically consumption in time t plus one, and consumption now is in in time t. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think a lot of the time, something that gets overlooked a lot is savings growth rate. You know, kind of when when we think about like what's more important, how much you can consume today? Yes, for sure. But how much Mm -hmm. you can consume tomorrow is also pretty important, right? You need to make decisions today that will satisfy that basket of goods in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of you you have two things and I want to want to open this up to you guys, right? Like, you know, one way to save more is to grow your income. Second way to save more is to have a high savings growth rate. Yeah. And in my perspective, both both of those are important, right? But, yeah. you know, in a day with you and you have 24 hours and maybe you have, you know, 12 hours to like do something productive. Mm-hmm. How, how do you guys think about this? You know, like, should you work on growing your income? Should you work on the growing your savings rate or both? 
Now, I think it, uh, from, from my perspective, I think obviously one thing that like I want to slightly digress just for a second, but this whole idea of when we look at our future, like future saving or savings growth rate, right? We have to always remember that in the future, our, our, the, the money that we make, the value of it is less, right? As in over time, the value of it goes down because there is that whole idea of, you know, deflation, quite simply. Yeah. Well, yeah, but obviously, like when you talk about savings, we're talking about not putting cash under the mattress. Mm -hmm. So obviously, there are different strategies goal, that you right? use. You wanna like inflation, deflation. Like you wanna, you wanna, you wanna have a growth rate that's higher than your inflation rate. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you wanna, you wanna beat that at the minimum. At the minimum, yeah. Well, I mean, it is a very good question to ask. That what should we put our focus on in a, in twelve hours in a day? Because I mean, you also have to keep in mind that there are other factors in play as well. For example, the pandemic caused a loss of jobs. Some people yeah. had to start burning through their savings that they have built over time. Yeah. So, you know, some people have been stepped, a lot of setbacks have occurred and a lot of setbacks yeah. can occur. So when we, I feel like the most important thing to know is what is the goal of your savings? Why are you saving? Yes, it's for T plus one consumption, it's for your consumption for tomorrow in less of better terms, but at the same time, like what is tomorrow? What is that day? When will that day come? Is it in times of need? Is it in times of an emergency? Is it in times of maybe retirement? So I guess depending on that is how you, because then you have to have a strategy after that too. So you're going yeah. to have to, you have to create a strategy that can cater to that need, that particular need that, okay, this money will be here. I need it to be built a bit. I need it to grow a little faster because I might need it very right. soon. And this is right. my, for example, pension. This can grow at, even at inflation, it's fine. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like I, I'm going to need it after I retire. So it will grow eventually. Yeah. And, and then, I think you're good. Yeah, I think I think one thing that is also is like I was gonna I was gonna put this point out there, which is what like the whole idea of what is more important, right? Is it more important to have more income now, or is it more important to have a high savings rate? So let's say let's let's I'm gonna I'm gonna put it into I'm gonna, I'm gonna let's I'm gonna try and make sense of it a little bit. Let's say that you have. Um, a high income. Let's say that you have that you have a high income now, right? It can go one of two ways. Either you spend all of that income on your consumption, so you just start, you just Im improve your lifestyle significantly, or you take, or what you do is you maintain a moderate lifestyle, but whatever income you have left over, you save, and that savings can go into any sort of savings account which sort of matches inflation rate. Right, so that could be a money market fund. That could be, it could could be fixed ETF. income securities, ETFs, mm -hmm. whatever it needs to be, right? But and 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 on the other hand, if you were to say that say say you go on the concept of a higher growth rate, that means that you have to maintain a lifestyle enough that you are able to survive and that you are happy with how you are surviving, but also enough that you're able to put aside that money for it to grow at such a rate. Like for the baseline of that money to grow at that rate to be able to provide for your future. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. I think I think you guys put it perfectly. And and that's kind of what I wanted to get at is that you know, you really can't make meaningful meaningful saving. Like forget even about your savings growth rate. You know, with a thousand dollars, you grow that a hundred percent, you get a thousand you get a thousand more dollars. What does that satisfy? A year's worth of coffee? Mm -hmm. You know, so you can only start like getting 
getting adding to your savings bucket when you have more post-tax after your mm -hmm. consumption basket of mm -hmm. goods then you can actually save so yeah. you know the first goal being is that you know like try improve skills network so you can get to a point where you can actually save a sizable amount mm -hmm. right and, and that's when you can maybe uh you know you know pay more attention to you know how that savings growth rate or, or how to maximize that you know you right. can keep it at an etf you know if if like investing is a hobby or something you're interested in you know you can spend some hours learn more about it and you know like kind of have more targeted concentrated bets you know concentrated yeah. bets have high risk high reward but also mm -hmm. you know it can wipe your portfolio out you know depend depends yeah, how, you, how you balance it right mm -hmm. um so that kind of being the takeaway is that you need a good basket of savings for mm -hmm. for you to kind of like grow it well enough to satisfy your future consumption and i think because yeah. of that is because of like the growing access to information the growing the access to big data for example as well it's opened the doors for us. And today now we look towards passive sources of income. We now right. know, we now see, we've been told that one source of income is not enough because that's not stable. Yeah. You know, you never know what could happen. Mm -hmm. So I feel like now more and more people are paying more attention towards their saving, savings growth and looking right. at it, okay, how much can I make outside of what I'm already doing? Exactly, right? And I think another another like branching off from what you were saving, the, the, talking about the sort of products that we get, um, they're also like all like all of these I, things that the government also helps in, right? In terms of like tax-free savings accounts, um, RRSPs, or ESPs. So all these like sort of retirement plans that allow you to put aside some money to help you know with tax write-offs, right? So you put aside a certain bit of your income, which can help you reduce the amount of tax that you're paying on the next income, which sort of means that you can save a lot, but also you are taxed less, so you are able to consume almost as much as you might be able to in the, in the future that you want to consume to maintain your lifestyle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and those are, those are big, big incentives that, you know, I think all Canadians should take uh, advantage of, you know, just having a TFSA, uh, you know, just doing the quick math here, you know, having uh, tax-free savings, tax, account. like a, a kind of being able to allocate 6,000 for five years, that's 30,000, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for you to be able to like put that in a tax-free manner, and, and that just basically means that if you grow that 30 to 60K, you don't pay tax on that additional 30K earned, right? And the yeah. other benefits to it is that, you know, say hypothetically, you know, we had 30,000 and we grew it to 60, we can withdraw that 30, use it, and then have that room to contribute again. Like at some point in time, we can contribute that 30,000 that we withdrew, apart from the 6,000 the government gives us every month as a limit. Yeah. So you, like you have that playroom, right? Every year you get that $6,000. So that $6,000 is always tacked on, right? So as you, uh, so, so the whole idea that as you grow within your corporate life or within, within your life and your income increases, you have more and more room to contribute to that to that tax-free savings account. So that amount grows as well with you every year. So a top a tip top tip for those who are thinking about opening a tax-free savings, who are thinking about actually investing. If you're looking to invest in stocks or anything at all, it'd be very highly recommended to open a tax-free savings account and use the money from there to do your investments. So you don't pay you don't pay tax on it. There's no capital gains tax. You don't get taxed on dividends. I believe that's right. Yeah, you yeah? don't get double taxed. You already get taxed on your income. You move that money to your TFSA. 
uh, and all that growth, that's all yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just to be clear, that six thousand is like a limit that the government that the government lets you contribute. You know, yeah. you can't put more than that. You yeah. Know? yeah. If and and that limit starts the day you enter Canada, and if you are more than eighteen years old. Yeah. So that that's how the math is done. Yeah. So you can't and, put well, more. You can, you can contribute over six thousand. You're just penalized for contributing over six thousand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a second point being, right, like the way you spoke about capital gains tax, capital gains tax is what, about 25%. And I think dividend taxes, give or take, based on if it's a eligible dividend or knowledgeable dividend, let's average it out to about 29%, right? Mm. So you're going to be paying those levels of taxes if you are not in a, in a TFSA. Or and over time, that adds up. Registered plan, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, that and basically, if you, if, if you make a dollar, yeah. you only keep 60 cents. You know, I mean, I guess 70 cents. I had the the just read Biden's plan. And, you know, this guy wants to make capital gains tax for long term investment. So, you know, if you had that investment for more than one year, 40 percent of 39.6 to be precise. Right. So for every hundred dollars someone earns, you know, you only get to keep like 60 of it. Exactly. That's insane. Yeah, it's going to change a lot. It hasn't got passed yet. It's this whole concept of, you know, leakages in the economy, right? Because remember that whole money cycle concept that we learned in in very basic econ, which is, you know, consumption. So this money we spend goes into, you know, like into the economy. People use it. They use it to produce the producers and sell. And it goes around and it follows this whole money circle. But then when you go into things like savings and you go into, you know, taxes, Taxes. then you end up with with these leakages in the economy. Right, which sort of reduce the amount people can spend, but then it also depends on how the government brings that money back in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's exactly the point, right? Like, okay, kind of again being hypothetical, right? Say say we're in the U.S. and mm-hmm. uh, you know we we have like a hundred million dollars in, in gains, mm-hmm. right? What would we do with that gains? Usually we would probably just invest it again, right? You know, we'd invest right. it to other companies and help them grow. Now the government's mm-hmm. taking 40, 40 million of that. And mm-hmm. how, how, how are they going to invest it? Maybe we have some idea. Cool. But can, can we measure their return on investment capital? They're ROIC? We can't. Like, can I you think... measure the return on investment capital of like uh, the military? You know, these things are hard to measure. Yeah, maybe exactly. not the military but but like let's say that let's say that, that that they took that 40 million and improved the infrastructure so let's say that they that they improved uh transportation let's say that they, that they that they put their money behind roads let's say that they put their money behind improving the electricity you know let's say that they put their money behind telecommunications okay so let's say they put 10 10 million on each of those or 12 12 million on each of those right it's really difficult like it's the the benefit that you get from you know improving the road network or improving something else it more it's significantly more than 10, 10 million right it's hard, to it's hard to measure because it's not the case in every government like mm-hmm. remember last week we talked about the carbon tax in canada mm-hmm. was it canada yes yeah the canada, carbon tax sure. and we said that the only way that we would agree to a carbon tax is if there is a structured plan on to how to use it next like how are they going? Are they going to use that money to phase out oil and put it into renewable energy, or yeah. are they just going to keep it and use it on defense? Right? right. So, I mean, there's, I mean, yes, the most important thing is the government must be held accountable for that, and at times it's very hard to do so because yeah. you don't know what's going on at at all times. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, like that's why I mean, some people are against the whole tax system is because they're like, I'd rather use my money and use it and still benefit the economy my way. 
than trusting the government to do so. Yeah. Yeah, we, we fall in this middle ground, right? Like I, I completely agree with, with what you said, CB, you know, the, the breakdown of that, it, it, it helps, right? Um, I'm just thinking, you know, initially when I, when I, when I saw the, the post on the, the capital gains tax, you know, my first thought was that, you know, the firms, the, the, the hedge funds or other like investment firms, the private equity guys, um, that that make these large amounts of money, they keep circulating it, right? That's that's how more companies come to the market. Mm-hmm. You know, someone has invested in them, someone has given them a seed. You know, that's how uh, you know Snapchat grew. That's how like Zillow grew. That's how yeah. Uber grew. You know, that's how Grab grew. All these companies grew because someone saw the vision and they had yeah. enough disposable income yeah. to invest in that. And I'm just saying mm-hmm. that's gonna change. It's going towards other stuff. It's, it's probably going to help people, but I'm just cautious. I'm always cautious when the government's involved because yeah. I'm like, how can you measure the benefit of that? It's, it's needed for sure. But what, what's, why, why the change from like 20 to 40? Like, give me, give me a detailed right. uh, like primer on what that 20% is going to do for an average American citizen, mm-hmm. even though I, I'm not I, American. I, I, no, I, I completely, I, I completely agree with, I completely agree with the perspective that you're, that you're putting out here because it's very important to understand, you know, because we always, we always hear these governments are in debt, you know, like America has X trillion dollars in debt, Canada is X billion dollars in debt, right? Where is this money coming from? Who is this money going to? And why is, why are they in debt? We've been paying so much tax, right? You know, mm-hmm. people in Canada pay like if you were in the top end, you're all paying almost half your income in tax, right? If I if 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 it was me and I was paying you know if I was making four hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm paying almost two hundred thousand dollars of tax, then where is my two hundred thousand dollars going? You want to know? Question, right? <laughs> Who is benefiting from these two hundred thousand dollars? Okay, say that say that fifty thousand dollars went to education and healthcare. Where did the other hundred and fifty thousand dollars go to? Hmm. Right, because we get healthcare for free, we get education for free. In America, you don't even get that. Right, you still have to pay for certain p- bits and pieces of those, but you're still so much in debt. So what's going on? Right, it's just yeah. like we need to, in a way, in a way, it's like we. I think the circles again back to the whole fiduciary responsibility concept, right? Yeah, it's the, it's right. the responsibility right of the government to, to, to at least tell the people that look, this is how we're spending the money that you are giving to us, and we're putting these, we're putting this tax in place because it leads for you to spend, right? Because it mm-hmm. leads for us to spend back on you so that you can improve your spending or you can improve your lifestyle, right? Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the title of this video, isn't it? <laughs> Fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. That's the word of the day. I, I remember this. So I was in business ethics. Our husband, did you take business ethics? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. So I took, I took business ethics. This was actually a philosophy course. I think it was philosophy 205 or something along those lines. And one of the classes, we just spent the whole three hours of the class discussing fiduciary responsibility and different <laughs> perspectives and different theories. So we spoke about, um, sorry, who's the guy you brought up again? The, the, Milton, the, Friedman? Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman. We spoke about Milton Friedman. We spoke about another, I think it was Von Horsen or something like that. We spoke about all these people and, we, and how fiduciary responsibility, like the concept of fiduciary responsibility has changed and evolved over time, right? Because first, firstly, people were just like, we need to make money. But now it's more important to realize the sustainable issues of the world, right? Because at that time, people didn't really realize what global warming was. We didn't realize the effect of population, right? Yeah. Now we're looking at a world that has 
almost or even more than 7 billion people and with 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 a pandemic like covid that just that's almost brought the whole world to a standstill it really makes us reflect try and understand the responsibilities that people have like if you are putting such a product out into the market right like for example if you're putting the vaccine out into the market it is your fiduciary responsibility to make it affordable so that everybody can use that vaccine hmm. or it is your responsibility to ensure that you can get it to governments on time so that they can provide it to their people yeah yeah and to make sure that there's a environment where the people getting vaccinated have trust in it you know this whole business of uh you know, AstraZeneca is good and AstraZeneca is bad, like put it and don't put it. And this is a global thing, right? Like, what does that do? And that changes that it, it, it has an effect on the trust, mm -hmm. you know, same with Johnson and Johnson, you know, don't take it, don't take it. And now it's good to take it because mm -hmm. the risks outweigh the benefits. Everyone knew that, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. like 1% of the, the, the people, you know, that get it, you know, have an adverse effect, you know, more people die like driving to get the vaccine than, you know, than right, getting yeah. the vaccine. Right? Yeah. Like, like it, it has an effect on the trust. A lot of times, like, mm -hmm. I think this is also the problem with social media and the media in general is they never, they don't want to show one side to the story, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, yes, I mean, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine can cause blood clots, but so mm -hmm. can pregnancy. So can, I mean, strokes are a cause of blood clots going into your brain. And like, I mean, there's so many other ways you can die from blood clots. There's so many other things that you do on a day-to-day -day basis that can cause a blood clot. No, but no one wants to talk about that. They just want to say that a vaccine will, can cause a blood clot. Right. So it's, it's a matter of, it's, it's a matter of like pushing an agenda and perspective, mm -hmm. of course. So like in, in, in the utopian world, it's everybody's responsibility to take care of everyone else. Right. And people in power should have that responsibility to not abuse it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's like, yeah, that at the end that's of the day, it. just, just not abuse it. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they would, would they wouldn't abuse it is if, if they were held accountable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Should we should we make the title of this video fiduciary responsibility or That's what accountability? Say. Yeah, fiduciary responsibility dash who something along the lines of who should be held accountable or who's accountable. Actually, why do we call the video accounting one one? <laughs> <laughs> accountability. I mean, accountability. Accountability one one. Who knows? I mean, that is the theme of what we are talking about today. Yeah. Like, no matter what we talk about, at the end of the day, it comes down to who's responsible. And Those they should be, held should be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. That should be that. clear. Mm. Yeah. Anything anyone else wants to add? Yeah. I mean, you know, I just thought um, we, we could kind of end the podcast with talking about a company that we like, um, mm. you know, kind of no pressure, but, you know, I, I thought of one I wanted to share and that, that yeah, one company is Amazon, right? I mean, honestly, if I had to pick one investment and have put all my money in that investment and sleep at night properly that company is amazon mm -hmm. you know amazon has you know it was priced at a dollar point five um mm -hmm. when it first started you know we can put the the chart up in here and i also mm -hmm. have the stock price here you know trading at 3300 right now what what apart from you know what the return on investment capital for amazon is that's that's another story what Bezos has done is what amazes me. The way this guy has pivoted his business from selling books to selling everything online 
to you know Amazon AWS services and Amazon everything, Amazon salons, Twitch. recently that uh amazon gaming you know they're in everything amazon supermarkets they they either own whole foods or whole greens whole foods. Whole foods. Whole foods. they own whole foods you know you can put the the thing up there like to me that is insane you know so kind of they it was it was announced that jeff jeff bezos is stepping down as ceo uh and he's going to transition to executive chairman so he's going to be leading the board uh as still an executive as an executive so you know held accountable to, to some degree and he's passing passing on the responsibility of the CEO, you know, the day to day to kind of his left hand man. Um, I don't know, I forget what his name is, but but either way, you know, the, the takeaway being what Amazon has created is something that no one else can create. You know why? Yeah, because yeah. Amazon don't make they make minimum profit from Amazon Prime. They, they make most of their money from all their other stuff. They make most yeah. of their money from Amazon AWS services. That's and true. that's what's getting them to grow 35% a year. And that's this is it's like a, it's almost like a $2 trillion company that's growing 35% a year. That it's yeah. insane what they're doing. That's um, very true. And to me that like Jeff deserves whatever he wants, you know, whatever money he's made, this guy deserves mm -hmm. it, man. He's made a great creation. I mean, you know, I don't know how their environment and their social practices are. Mm -hmm. I don't cover those really. Uh, you know, there was a there was a union vote that that failed recently in Alabama. Uh, we won't get into that, but mm -hmm. just just some context. But to me, that's one company that you know I'm gonna hold forever. Yeah, he's he's really set them up to success. That's true. Yeah. I took a little different approach in picking mine. Um, I was thinking more on the lines of what's next to come. What like what's what's going to be big next? I didn't pick a particular company. I rather just went for an industry and I went with 3D printing. Mm. The reason I went with that is because I was following this one company that I mean, it, it was uh, it IPO through a blank check company. So SPAC, uh, they're called Desktop Metal. Mm. And what they want to do is they want to have 3D printing on a mass production scale, which hasn't been done yet. Mm -hmm. And they want to be one of the first to get there. Right. The reason why I feel that this is the really the next big thing is because it is going to be like Industrial Revolution 2.0. Mm -hmm. You think about, I mean, nowadays everything is going electrical, mechanic, mm -hmm. robotic. Of course, their hardware is still going to be there and you're going to need someone to build the hardware. If you have 3D printing in the mix, you're going to have everything done precisely and with minimal wastage. Mm -hmm. I agree. And you look at automobiles, there are a lot of, I think there are two or three, including Ford and GM who are in, who are some one of the partners of desktop metal. So I feel like 3D printing has a big future coming up and I feel like we should keep an eye out for those companies as well. I believe desktop metal in 2022 or 2020, I think at the end of this year or starting next year are going to uh, release that the mass production printer. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, I'm just looking at the price. So they're at 13.74 as of market close on Friday. And, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of um, down from their peak of 31. So good time to think about getting in. Yeah. 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 Um, one company that I and I'm going to like this. Yeah, this is one company that I that I really like and that I've been following for a while. Um, like I, I know you guys know that I'm into cars and stuff. Uh, but one company that I've been really following is Rimac. Uh, Rimac is a small Croatian company that does electric cars, and they have probably one of the fastest electric sports cars on the market. Um, Porsche just bought them for 
their electric, their battery technology, there's the, the way they put the power from the electricity, like from the battery and through the motors onto to the wheels is, is phenomenal. Uh, the speed, the way they've built that car is, is, is almost insane. It looks kind of like a Bugatti, but it, like it drives insane. Um, and they're, I think they're one of the companies that maybe are not as well known, but are really putting the pedal to the metal in, in, in quite literal terms, uh, to, for the, for the race of, of like the electric sports car, right? Porsche mm. just bought 20% of them or Porsche did buy 20% of them a while ago. Um, and now you see Porsches pumping out these electric cars. So obviously with the technology that Rimac has and com- like in combination with Porsche, one of the almost legends of motorsports, right? You yeah. know, I think that's a company that is, that has, that is set up for success. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Just reading here. So they kind of did it for 24% in March and mm-hmm. Porsche has been on a tear. Just looking at their share price, it's, it's basically almost doubled since the new year. So yeah, on the right path. Yep. So yeah, that was fiduciary responsibilities and a couple of our picks for the future, present yeah. and future. Present. And Hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah. It was really fun. I really enjoyed yeah. this one. No, thanks yeah, this is fun. This is, this Congratulations. Is Thank you. Awesome. You're our first guest. Thank you for having <laughs> so us. Love it. Did you yeah. enjoy it? Yeah, it was, no, it was a great experience. Hopefully, yeah. you know, I'll awesome. be back soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you back for sure. Awesome. Definitely. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Take care. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs>